0: Hey, everyone, today I'm joined with Christina, the medium, she is my resident medium on this podcast, we are doing our Halloween episode about the Amityville Horror House. I love the story. So does she guys, there's a trigger warning. Uh, There's shootings in this there's killings in this. So just know that going ahead of time uh, before we start this, and all of this stuff that we talk about is alleged and our opinion. And there's the work I needed to do before we started. So, Christina, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Leslie. I'm so happy to be back as always. Yes.
0: Well, listen, guys, we've had a little problem recording this one. I don't know if it's because the Amityville Horror House is giving us some crap or Mercury retrograde. I don't know, but uh, this is our second time, and maybe this will be a second time's a charm. That's right. <laughs> So I'm just going to go through some of the uh, details of what happened at the beginning of the story. And then Christina's going to start talking after that. So in 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr., who was 23 years old, took a rifle and killed his two parents and then went into the bedrooms of his siblings and killed all four of them crazy, horrific, terrible tragedy. And we really don't have answers as to really truly what happened with him. Uh, And Christina knows a lot more about this part of the story than I do. So I'm just going to hand the mic to her and we're going to keep going from there.
1: All right. So just like Leslie said, it was November the 13th, 1974, that Ronald, he was also known as Butch DeFeo, basically murdered his entire family. According to Butch in jail, eventually he said that this had to do with his substance abuse issues, that he was an active addiction of heroin, as well as having some uh, issues with substance abuse for alcohol as well. Now, I don't know about y'all, but to be high on heroin and then have the ability to unalive your entire family, that's different. You know, it's not like he took an upper and then did that. He took heroin. So I have a hard time believing that... That was all that was at play, basically, in terms of the substances that he had ingested.
0: And that's true because, you know, Christina has a medical background, so she kind of understands how some of these bigger drugs work. I don't have any idea. And she was like, this is kind of what I understand because she's in the medical field. So apparently when you do heroin, you pretty much go to sleep right away. Like it's a downer for sure, right?
1: right right now granted he could have built up a tolerance to that but most of the time once you ingest heroin you're asleep you go to sleep pretty much as soon as that hits your bloodstream and you know hits your nervous system so maybe he had you know built up a tolerance maybe he had also ingested some sort of upper at the same time i'm not sure honestly but something else was at play there that allowed that to take place According to Butch, he also perpetrated this crime because he was experiencing, according to him, abuse that was being dealt out by his parents. I also find that hard to believe because if that were the case, why didn't you just try and remove your siblings? It doesn't make any sense to kill the whole family. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's the thing I don't understand. Now, I'm not doubting that he was under some kind of influence with drugs. I don't really doubt that because you got to be a little out of your mind to do that kind of stuff. Right. So. But you're right. I don't understand how killing the siblings would have helped unless he just decided, you know what? I feel so bad. I did this. I'm just going to kill everyone. I don't even know. How do you get in the mind of a killer like that? And that's what started this whole problem with this house, this bad negative energy. So he goes to jail. He talks about some mob connection, which they don't really think is really true. And that that was a part of this, too. I don't really know about that, but... I do know a year after he was convicted, the Lutz family bought this house that had been vacant until they bought it one year after, I think it was in 1975 and they bought it for $80,000. And that's outlandish because this is a beautiful, big house. Waterfront property has its own dock and Christina can tell you more about that, but doesn't 80 grand seem like a really low amount?
1: Oh yeah. So during that time, so with inflation, yeah. Eighty grand in today's money would be half a million dollars. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I would imagine that these are million-dollar properties in our money today. With them being waterfront, also having like a boat and a duck, you know, on the property, they got that for a steal of a price. And what's interesting too is, from mm-hmm. my understanding, they also bought all of the furnishings yes. uh, that were the DeFeo's actual possessions. Their bed frames. Uh. Decorations, pictures, you know, everything basically that they left in the house once the DeFeo family came in after the fact and cleaned out what they wanted. When the Lutzes moved in, they paid 400 additional dollars to throw in the furnishings as well.
0: And you gotta think that's a little creepy. You know, keeping all of that just, you know, because the negative energy to me already is in the house, let alone on in the carpets in the curtains and the, you know, the bed frames and the pictures. What in the world?
1: Right. Think of the inanimate objects in your house as being like sponges. Yeah. And if you expose those sponges to nothing but darkness, that's what you're going to have, a leaky sponge of darkness in your house. Oh, great analogy. Wow. Okay. So
0: tell us what started happening with the Lutz family.
1: So according to George and Kathy, as well as their kids, I watched a really interesting documentary that was actually done by Danny, the oldest son of the Lux's. Um It was Kathy's oldest son. And he said that he absolutely remembers from the jump, pulling up into the front driveway of Amityville. And their parents, once they parked the car, Kathy and George turning around to the kids and saying, hey, we got something to tell you. And they're just now telling them.
0: It's like, what?
1: Yeah, the entire family that lived here before you was murdered. And he said, I remember this because I didn't know what murdered meant. (laughs) Yes. So my guess is they knew, okay, these kids are going to start going to school in Amityville. The kids in Amityville are going to be like, i are living in a murder house. Right. <laughs> so they had to tell them, you know, yeah. so they pull up shortly thereafter. Danny remembers seeing one of their local Catholic priests coming and actually doing a blessing of the house. So he remembers Father Ray coming to the house, agreeing to do the blessing. And he says, I remember us unloading boxes as he went about doing that blessing in the house. And then shortly thereafter, him abruptly leaving, talking to his parents. And he said, I never saw Father Ray again. In hindsight, he says that he found out later that Father Ray basically, you know, told Kathy and George, you all should not congregate in the sewing room upstairs. He said that he had heard a really deep voice that was masculine and kind of guttural in nature say, get out, do not stay in this house. Wow. Now, in hindsight, if you think about it, this was a Catholic priest throwing holy water around in a house doing, you know, a blessing of uh, the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. This could have been a spirit that did not like that symbology and that was not for the Catholic Church. So just because it basically, you know, growled at a Catholic priest, it doesn't mean that that was a demon that was in that space. Right. Just means that that uh, religious iconography angered that spirit in some way. Yeah.
0: you know, Just like we said before, there's just so much negative energy there and negative begets negative energy. It all begets itself. And negative energy doesn't have to be a demon. It doesn't have to be some kind of, you know, monster. It's just bad energy. And maybe they enjoy it. Maybe they want that bad energy for themselves. And anything trying to get rid of it, it's going to fight for itself, right?
1: Right, right. I think that it's very interesting, you know, just because something is scary or something desecrates some sort of religious iconography it just doesn't mean that that is evil it just means that it's a little bit more complex so I agree. moving forward kathy starts noticing that she feels so peaceful and serene in the home that she doesn't want to leave it ever she doesn't want to go on her errands she doesn't want to go grocery shopping she said that it was even hard to do chores in the house because she just felt so peaceful there wow She said, within a week of moving in, Kathy felt her hand touched by an unseen hand. And then she started feeling cold spots popping up in the house. Mm. So this also lends, you know, the thought process of everybody in this house had a different experience. So it really begs the question, are houses haunted or are certain people haunted? Yes. George said that on one particular night when he and Kathy were being intimate with one another, that he watched Kathy's face morph into like a chrome or that of an old hag. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. That was in the movie, too.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. He says that it took several hours for her face to go back to normal. Now, this is known as transconfiguration. Basically, like a spirit can superimpose its face over yours. This happens to me during sessions and sometimes certain wow. readings. So that's not uncommon for that to happen. Now, the children started to have their own experiences. Um, Missy, the daughter of the family, started reporting seeing what she called a pig. She called it Jody. The pig had red eyes and sharp teeth, according to her, and would sit in her window. And she said that this pig told her that she would live in the house for forever. Now, I personally don't think that she was seeing a pig. I think that she was probably seeing some sort of animal, like maybe a cat, something that had some sort of reflective quality of their retina that was making their eyes look red. Right, I agree. I truly don't think that they were actually seeing some sort of demon pig in the house. (laughs) And the name Jody, (laughs) Right. Well, you know, kids just have the ability to, you know, create names for their imaginary friends and things like that. And I think that she was probably seeing some sort of cat. Another thing about that story is there was a big fat cat that apparently was a pet of a next door neighbor that Ronald DeFeo called Pig. They're it bigger. could have been the fat cat from next door <laughs> yeah. they
0: were seeing. Yeah, well, I like the fact that we're kind of debunking this because, hey, this is a Halloween episode. We want to be spooky and stuff, but we want to give all of the evidence and not just sensationalize everything. Because I do think there was a fair amount of that in this story.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that doesn't take away from the scariness of what happened. I think it's just, it's always good to go into these stories with a little bit of healthy skepticism. Put your healthy skeptical hat on Anytime you go into something of the paranormal, so that when valid information comes forward, you can appreciate that just more, you know?
0: Yeah, because I have no doubt that there were negative entities there, you know, energy frequencies that would be kind of hanging out at the house because it did have some negative things happen. Every house probably has a little bit of negative and good things in their houses. But the evilness at the beginning of this whole story with DeFeo. The fact that he just killed his parent and they didn't hear anything that still boggles my mind. And I don't understand that whole process. But so go back. So the youngest child seeing what she thinks is a scary, sharp-toothed pig with red eyes. So keep going.
1: So George, at this point, starts reporting that he can't get warm in the house, that he's constantly freezing, can't get warm to save his life. He also reports a story of seeing Kathy levitate above their bed at one point. Okay, that would be my, no. <laughs> yeah, and now what? I would have been out at that yeah, point. I'm out. <laughs> I'd have been like, okay, peace.
0: But you know, what's, what's crazy though, Christina, is, and you told me this, I didn't even know this. Christina is the one that told me this. George Lutz was into the occult. Now being into the occult doesn't necessarily mean you're a devil worshiper, and Christina can explain that a little bit more because she knew about this and I did not know about this. So what would that mean?
1: Yes, so George, according to actually Danny, the oldest son, as well as several other people that were directly involved with him, even in the most recent years prior to his death, all of those folks reported George being a practicing occultist. And like Leslie said, occultism does not mean that you're into devil worship that you are a satanist. And even if you are a satanist, that's not what most mainstream people believe. It just means that you are into the secret study of hidden text. Occult just means that that is hidden. Okay. So According to many people that were in his social circle, George was into transcendental meditation during that time. Kathy was also into yoga. She had turned the sewing room into a yoga room during that time. I had also heard from people that had direct connection with George that he was actually into telekinesis and actually was very good at it. Oh, really? There was a okay. yeah. There was yeah. one of his friends that actually reported seeing him levitate a wrench from one end of the garage to another. Oh my god! Um, yeah, and Danny actually said that he observed him levitating this wrench at one point.
0: Well, you know, and like I said, the mind is a powerful thing, guys. But also, you know, that sewing room that the priest said, oh you know, get out, don't live in this house. That's where the kids were killed by Ronald DeFeo, the brother, right?
1: That's correct. If okay. I remember correctly, that was two of the children's rooms. I think that two kids were sleeping in there at the time okay. in okay. terms of two of the DeFeo children that yeah. were murdered. Yeah.
0: Oh, so sad. So so now we've got a really big, perfect storm of a really bad tragedy before the Lutzes even move in. Then George is also a practicing occultist. And you've got people that are a little desperate for money. So there's that fear going into it of how we're going to make the payments, all the things. So we're just going to go ahead and buy all the furniture that's all also negative. And then it just explodes.
1: Yeah. From my understanding, George, you know, was already into his spiritual practices during that time, you know, meditating, doing whatever he was doing at the time. And from my own experience and any other spiritual practitioner can probably attest to this. When you're inexperienced and you're kind of going into the spirit world kind of blindly, you're not setting any spirit boundaries. You are not being very mindful of the clairsentient feelings you're picking up on as you were tapping into the spirit world. Right. And you are also actively trying to have some sort of scary experience. As you and I have talked about many times, the universe will always oblige us in any intention that we set. Oh, and yes, it will. <laughs> yes, you it are will. literally doing this in a murder house. Yeah. You could bet your bottom dollar that you're likely going to have some interesting experiences during that time. Absolutely. And not to mention
0: that George and Kathy's kids, now they're her kids, they're all like young teenage or about to be teenage. And there's that poltergeist aspect that could be also happening, Correct.
1: Right. So anytime a kid is kind of nearing those teenage years, that psychic energy, you're in kind of a liminal state. You're not an adult, but you're not a kid anymore. And that liminality pulls paranormal activity towards us. So very often if there's anger kind of at the forefront, Danny was very angry at George for being his stepfather in general, but also according to Danny, George had become abusive after they had moved into that home. So That anger has to go somewhere. And I think that from the kids kind of creating this kinetic slash poltergeist activity, George practicing occultism, the energy imprints of the DeFeo murders, all of that created this perfect storm of making that house a vibrational match for something lower. And I think that they quite literally called it to themselves in that experience.
0: Totally agree with you, because like you just said, it's a perfect storm For just, hey, you know what? You want the haunting? You guys want this? Okay, we're here. We're here for you. We'll oblige you, just like Christina said. And they got it. So I know that like doors were ripped from the hinges. Cabinets were slamming. There was strange odors. Slime was oozing from ceilings. I mean, it inspired a book release like in 1977. And we'll get to that. But I mean, this was like happening... And i don't know if it was someone's interpretation i don't know if it was someone's imagination who knows
1: they said basically so in mid-january of 1976 they had attempted to have the house blessed again and according to george and kathy i believe this was close to after uh, the feast of the epiphany they said that the activity in the house blew wide open mm-hmm. and George never really publicly talked about what happened on that last night because the Lutzes were only present in the house for 28 days. And on the 28th day, they vacated. They did not send movers back for a long period of time either to go get their belongings.
0: How frightened, just like you said before, how frightened do you have to be to leave a house completely with the clothes on your back and maybe a few items?
1: Right. So Danny in his documentary said that on that final night it was a school night and he said he awoke to looking at the ceiling and it was so close that he could touch the ceiling he said that there was wooden sounds like a wooden clacking that was also kind of waking him up and when he looked to his left his brother's bed and the bed frames were hitting up against uh, one another cuz they were levitating oh and were literally God. almost touching the ceiling. I'd have been screaming.
0: I'd have been running out of the house.
1: I mean, yeah. You know. So, oh he God. said he calls for his parents. They run in as soon as, you know, George and Kathy hit the door, the beds hit the floor and everybody vacates. Uh,
0: my god and like i said it's just so scary to think that and you know the kids could be causing this the occultism could be the negative energy all of it like i said like we keep saying it's a perfect storm and this is why you know you have to look at every single angle of this because if you just look at it like how the movie you know there were some liberties taken there there was a book deal so we can maybe get into that so they're gone they're out of the house and the man who helped Ronald DeFeo, I think, would, was he sentenced to an insane asylum? Was that what it was? And he didn't get what happened with that.
1: So William Weber was Ronald DeFeo's attorney. Yes. And now, according to William Weber, he says that he sat down with the Lutzes and got ripped roaring drunk yes. over the course of five days. Yeah. And according to him, he said that they all created the Amityville horror story in an attempt to get Ronald DeFeo off on an insanity plea. Okay, okay. He said, basically, that he had struck a deal with the Lutz's and said, you know, if the family that moves in after we put this plea out, basically, that he's insane, if they corroborate the spirit activity that he's claiming, right. then we could get him off. We could get him acquitted. Wow, And so he says, you know, let's do a book. We'll cut also Ronald DeFeo into the book deal. And according to William Weber, he said that that's ultimately what made the Lutzes ghost him. That giving money basically to a mass murderer bothered their morality. And that's why they ultimately walked away. I personally don't think that that happened because the timeline doesn't jive. You know, the murders happened in 74. The Lutzes didn't move until almost a year after... Ronald DeFeo had been convicted. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. They would have to know each other prior to that, and have to have been in cahoots for an entire year, basically. Now George did get paid two hundred thousand dollars for his book deal. That is the equivalent of one point one million dollars in today's money. Mm. Now people that go on like my ghost adventure and sell their the rights to their story, they usually get paid two, three, at the most $500 and they can do whatever they want in perpetuity to their story after okay. the fact. Right. So they got paid the most that anyone has ever been paid for a ghost story, basically. Okay. So it was in George's best interest to embellish that story. Oh, sure. And oh, yeah, Danny absolutely corroborated that. He said half of the stuff in that book absolutely did not happen, but a lot of it did. Wow. So... Danny ended up leaving. After they vacated that house, Danny, at 15 years old, asked his mother to go move out of the house and live on his own. And according to him, his mother said yes and let him go. Wow. 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. You got to be really scared to be 15 years old and go live in the deserts of Arizona and be homeless by yourself and be cool with that. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, after what he'd been through, I kind of get it, but I still don't understand how Kathy could have let her own son at 15, just leave. You know, I, I would have thought she'd try to help him, but maybe they were all just a little insane after all this happened. I don't know
1: right I don't know now as you know like the Warrens Ed and Lorraine Warren were brought in during that time when the house was being vacated um, after the fact And that was a can of worms in and of itself.
0: (laughs) And Ed and Lorraine Warren, they were known paranormal investigators, and they were kind of new on the scene as far as um, in America or anywhere else. This was kind of a new thing where people would go into houses and investigate, and it was a big deal. And they kind of pioneered this thought to do these things, right?
1: Right. Ed was a self-proclaimed demonologist that was the only demonologist that was recognized by the Catholic Church, um, at least in terms of being self-proclaimed blamed. Now, Lorraine was a practicing Catholic, and she was also a medium. Mm, okay. And I have a very different viewpoint of these two folks. Now, again, this is all alleged. Right. Um, I don't want anybody from the, the Warrens family coming for us, but <laughs> I have a very different viewpoint of them now than I did even 10 years ago. Yeah, I agree. Looking into how they handled the Amityville house, within, you know, a half hour of being inside the house and doing their investigation, Ed proclaims a legion of demons has flown through his body. And according to Lorraine, she says that she's never felt closer to hell than when she was in the Amityville house. Now, being a paranormal investigator myself, that is irresponsible investigation, in my opinion. You can't know what is in a house in a half an hour, much less a day. Yeah. So to proclaim this proclamation of fear to a family that's already terrified is irresponsible, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Much less the fact that there is no hell or demons in the way that the church proclaims them to be. So, exactly. <laughs> again, <laughs> this just drummed up that circle of fear and perpetuated that. Now, we probably also know the story of the Amityville ghost boy with the picture that's circulating on the internet. If you search that right now, a picture of a boy with glowing white eyes will pop up on the internet that's peeking out of a doorway in Amityville. And Lorraine had a state-of-the-art night vision camera that basically was a rapid-fire picture taker that they had set up in every nook and cranny of that house. Now, this is something very common that happens today in paranormal investigation shows. You will catch cast and crew in the background all the time in stuff that they take pictures of. And sometimes they will still even claim that that's a ghost apparition when it's absolutely not. Exactly. They had a, a crew member named Paul Bartz that was absolutely that little ghost boy, I believe. Um, I think that he was probably coming out of that door in that moment. I think he was probably down on his hands and knees to try and see if he could peek out without tripping that camera. And I think that that camera tripped anyway and it caught his picture. Because when you look at his picture compared to that actual photo throughout the investigation, he matches that description. Oh wow, okay. Yes, absolutely. So I think that again, there was a news crew that was also following the Warrens around. It was in the Warrens' best interest to create something sensational yes. while they were there. Yes,
0: This was something new. And also, they were both pretty Catholic. Like, they were both very religious. And that's, I think, what the whole demon angle that she kind of took. And, you know, maybe in her own reality, she felt like the house was some kind of evil. I don't know. Maybe she really thought that. But... You know I don't want to discount that either hurry you know we make up our own realities we create them but you're right I think it's irresponsible just to blurt it out when you have truly no idea and now it's in your best interest to um, hype up what you do so that you can get attention for what you do
1: right right I just think that just from feeling into that a little bit more and again guys like I 10 years ago, if you had asked me about Ed Lorraine Warren, I would have said, Oh my gosh, I love them. They're amazing. This is the work that they've done. Now, knowing what I know and looking at it from a different perspective, wow, the amount of fear that they created just from their investigations.
0: And my thing is, too, this house, the actual address used to be 112 Ocean Avenue. Now it is 108 Ocean Avenue. They had to change it because there were so many tourists trying to take pictures and stand outside. And from what I understand as well, every single person that has occupied that house since has had no problems whatsoever.
1: That's correct. That's correct. So it really lends credibility to the thought process are houses haunted or are certain people haunted yes because it seems to be when certain people move out of spaces when certain people surrender haunted objects the activity stops because that energetic cord is severed. I agree. It's exclusive to those people. Yeah.
0: And and you're right though. I think that it's, it's just such a really good way to put it because some people are like, Oh, the house is haunted or well, it can't be haunted because it's a new house or whatever. Well, of course you look at the land and all that. But I do believe people can be haunted. I do think negative energies, good energies, um, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's really that person's point of view, what they're carrying around with them. And you're going to get the reality that you create. And they all had something negative attached to them, whether it's Ronald DeFeo and his family, or the Lutzes with George practicing the occult. Kathy, who not necessarily had any issues with the house. But George had some issues with her and then the kids, you know, they were all at that age where just like you, when you were growing up, Christina, you said you had poltergeist activity when you were in your teens, you know, because you have abilities, obviously. But I think that it might be kind of more of a norm than people think.
1: Right. Right. I still remember there's a story about George Lutz um, just in the years prior to his death. If anybody follows Greg and Dana Newkirk, one of their best friends is Jason Gowen. He's been featured in their most recent documentary, The Unbinding, as well as Hell Your Seasons 1 and 2. Very reputable in the spiritual community. He was very close to George in the years prior to his death. And he said I watched him literally start glowing green and I could see it with my physical eyes and it bothered Jason so much so that he drove twelve hours home in the middle of the night because oh he could God. not process what he had just watched. Wow.
0: Okay. Christine and I have talked about this. I don't, I don't know if I'll keep this in, but you know, my mom told me, or at least I got the impression that we are all portals as well. Like just our human existence, our human spirit we're portals for spirit to come and go right because they find us we're like a beacon so i think there's a lot more to portals than just us but we're part of that process and so when you have negative things that happen to you when you're a drug addict when you are practicing things maybe not with the best intentions you're going to be a beacon and just like christina always says the universe is going to oblige you
1: yeah Yeah, seriously. Like we have said, there was a perfect storm going on in that house. The liminality, the children and their age, the fear and the anger that was kind of circulating and starting to churn in the house. George is practicing occultism. I'm sure the fact that Kathy was kind of stuck in the middle All of it was just brewing until it overflowed. And ultimately that happened when they hit day 28 and they vacated that house.
0: Yeah. I tell you, girl, it's been very interesting to know that now no one is having any issues in that house. So, you know we'll keep an eye on it for you guys, and maybe we'll do another Halloween episode next year on it because maybe things will have changed. We don't know, but Christina, you're amazing. Tell everyone where they can find you. You are a psychic medium and amazing at it. So tell everyone where they can find you.
1: Sure, uh, you can find me at my website. It's www. dot com. It's c h r i s t i n a, TheMedium.com. dot com. You can also find me on TikTok, on Instagram. My handle is Christina the Medium.
0: You're amazing. I will have Christina on so many more times, so you'll get a lot more episodes with her. She's amazing. And guys, I want to wish you guys a happy Halloween. Be safe and enjoy your Halloween, but scare some people. Wear some crazy stuff, right, Christina?
1: That's right. Happy Halloween, ghouls and goblins.